Hello, my name is Mark Gibson, and you're listening to the podcast version of the Chagask Signpost series, a weekly webinar that promotes and examines sustainability in Irish farming. The Signpost webinar series is brought to you in association with the National Rural Network, Food Drink Ireland, and Dairy Sustainability Ireland. If you tuned into the UN Food Systems Dialogue hosted by the Department of Agriculture, Food and the Marine this week, you would be under no illusion that we're going to see a lot of changes happening in farming over the next decade, particularly in relation to environmental sustainability. One group of farmers, along with researchers, government agencies and the industry, are leading the way in this regard. The Bride Project is an innovative agri-environment project based in the River Bride catchment of Northeast County Cork and West Waterford. And the project aims to design and implement a results-based approach to conserve, enhance and restore habitats in lowland intensive farmland. And I'm thrilled to be joined by Donald Sheehan, who is manager of the Bride Project, who's going to talk to us about how farmers can be rewarded for environmental improvement on their farms. Yeah, well, I, I, I'm a dairy farmer with 72 cows. I'm farming here with um, my wife, Ethan. We have two children, Olivia and Cahill. And I suppose uh, how the Bride Project came about was I could see myself the way uh, biodiversity was was declining and, and disappearing before my eyes. And, I, you know, I knew I was part of the problem myself as well. And I suppose um, my father always kept bees. And when he retired... Uh, some few years back, uh, he handed over the bees to me and I was always focused on, on when you're producing meat to produce as much as we could. And then when I took over the bees, it was the same kind of a mantra, just uh, see what, what, how much honey we could produce, even though we rarely sell it. Um, but then I could see that there was uh, uh, there was a kind of a clash where, where I was spraying feed margins and, and spraying what I call no wildflowers. I was then calling them weeds. And so if you wanted a lot of honey, you needed a lot of wildflowers. And uh, th- that, that just put me thinking and, and it kind of led me down the road to why uh, we needed some sort of a, a new approach to farming and, and to make it more sustainable and above all, I suppose, to make it more biodiversity friendly. Uh, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you uh, an idea of how the Bride Project worked, works. And if you were a farmer, if you wanted to join uh, the Bride Project, how it would work and um, also how, how the payments are made. And I suppose most importantly of all, how uh, you can make improvements on your own farm and, uh, and how we would pay for them afterwards. So it's uh, results-based payments. Uh, and the difference between results-based payment schemes and previous schemes is, is that it's exactly as it says in the team. And the team, we, um, we pay based on, on the results um, farmers are, are told how to manage their habitats and it's all about habitats, the number of habitats, the quality of your habitats and your, your reward for that. So before I start, I just want to acknowledge our Bride Project Administrator Sinead Hickey and Sinead compiled the slide presentation. So thanks very much Sinead. To our working group of Dara Hulukan and John Finn from Tagus, Paul Moore, Tony Nagel and above all our 42 farmers uh, who have persevered and uh, with a lot of patience. Uh, uh, while we're kind of rolling it out and designing it and so on. So these are our, our, um, our project partners. And I suppose I should mention out of, out of this slide, a uh, very uh, sincere thank you to the Department of Agriculture and the EU for co-funding uh, the, 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 the project. It's, uh, we just got over 1 million euros for five years uh, and more or less told to go away and soft out uh, biodiversity and intensive farmland. And uh, the department have been hugely supportive of us, of us and uh, that's much appreciated. So just uh, uh, as an opener, why farmland biodiversity is in decline, I suppose the focus for the last 50 years or so has been solely on productivity uh, at the very lowest cost. And while quota was limiting production uh, in milk, as, at least, uh, it, it kind of kept a lid on it. But when quotas went um, in 2015, land immediately became the new quota. So, so for people that are not in farming, uh, your, your income is based on the, on the land you have because th- that's what you're making your money from. And it's very easy to be um, you know, given out about farmers damaging the environment, but you must remember that uh, the way they manage their land and, uh, and the production they produce, that's, that's what they get their income from. So the more they produce, that's the signal they get, the, more, uh, the higher their income. So inevitably, there was going to be a pinch on the environment because uh, to get more product, uh, you, you, you take out anything that's competing against your, your, your production. So you have more sprays, more fertilizers, more stock, more machinery. And, and that's just the way it is. 
Uh, and as I said, land is now the, the, the new quota, and um, it, it's, it's trying to maximize this limiting asset in to make an income. And there's no financial value on the non-productive part of the farm. And that's to do with eligibility and policy. And we need to put a value on this. And that's what the Bride Project does. It puts a value on the non-productive part of your farm. The hedgerows, the ponds, the riparian margins, the woodland, everything that didn't have a value before, we say that, that it does have a value now. It has a value when you go out and you look at it. It has a value for biodiversity. If it's a wetland, it has value in filtering water and flood mitigation, et cetera, et cetera. So agri-environment schemes, historically, uh, they were generally for the extensive farmer. Um, and, and the intensive farmer was generally, you know, drive on lads and um, the, we, the, the, the agri-environment schemes didn't suit. And I, I'm not in glass myself because it just didn't suit. And um, it, there's a kind of a, a mindset that it, it's not for me. And, and that needs to change because as intensive farmers, we need to be able to tell a, a green, sustainable story. And that is going to become hugely important um, down the road because children are now coming out of, of national schools. They have six or seven green flags. They know about recycling, um, reusing water quality, water sustainability, biodiversity, and that's what they're going to be looking for in, in the years to come. And we need we need encouragement from the industry. The, the industry, I really feel, uh, have kind of let farmers take a lot of the flag for this, um, but they need to share the responsibility and, and share the, the, the solution. So th this is very much, this is the EU Green Deal in the farm to fork, and, and it's just a simplified um, slide there. It's 10% minimum for area for nature. This is what the Bride Project does. Uh, and it's, it's a very small slice of that pie. And the most important word there is minimum. Like we shouldn't be talking about three and four and 5%. That's ridiculous at this day and age. You must remember that that 10% is what's delivering on the ecosystem services. So that 10% is woodland that, that uh, lowers your carbon footprint. It's riparian buffer strips that improve water quality, wetlands that uh, mitigate against flooding. Uh, and it's hedgerows, uh, field margins, and, and, and it, it looks paltry there uh, to, for, to deliver all the ecosystem services that you have 90% of your area for food production and just 10% for, for the rest. So that, that's an, a minimum. And we try to improve the quality of that 10%. And the 90%, there's another uh, project, a sister EIP project called the Danu Project, and they focus on all the biodiversity underground, the soil quality. And in 10 years' time, um, I think that that orange will be a lot greener. We'll have a lot, uh, the, the, the soils will be far more healthier and that 10% will be a, a very dark green. And I, I really do think that because um, there's huge changes being made already and farmers are to the forefront of that. So we, we, we map a farm, each farm, every time a farmer comes in, we map the farm for biodiversity. So all the shaded areas there are, uh, yellow is a hedgerow and there's a green line beside it, it's a field margin. The purple is the riparian buffer strip, and even the orange there, that's the farmyard. That has a value. The, the several species depend on farmyards, and we put a value on that. The blue area is, is, um, is a, a wetland. And so uh, this farmer here has what we call 8.5% uh, eight, eight BMA, and BMA is the key figure, your biodiversity managed area, combining your all of the... The, uh, the habitats here on, on, on the legend here, your hedgerows, field margins, ponds, woodland, et cetera, et cetera. And we try to get every farmer up to 10%. We give them a, a measure, a, a list of measures that they can choose, whether you're a tillage farmer or equine, dairy, beef, sheep, whatever. And you pick from those. And down at the bottom, we have a farmer suggested measure. So if the farmer feels that there's something that they'd like to do, uh, we, we might add that. Some of our farmers ha have looked for... Um, um, uh, uh, water trucks and, and piping to, so that they can uh, supply water to that part of the farm and take, take the animals out, out of a river. And that's been hugely successful. And it's, you know, a couple of hundred euros and, and it's, it's, it's sorted. So the next couple of screens now, um, what I want to show you is this could be uh, intensive. It is intensive farmland. And if you look at this, uh, and this, this is common all over the country because this is just where we're at and there's no point in beating ourselves up over it. This is just where we're at. Um, so there's virtually no biodiversity on, on this farm uh, or on, on this field. And what I'm going to do is take you through how you could bring biodiversity back. So there's, there's um, we'd say there's, the most biodiversity there actually is 
along under the wires here. There's a few uh, spear thistles, a bunch of the nettles uh, off here. There's some spear thistles that have evaded capture as well. And um, they're actually very good for pollinators. And uh, I'll show you later on, uh, nettles are quite valuable as well. Um, but other than that, really, the, the, there's no habitats there. So we take a Google map, uh, and I'm just going to take uh, this area here. It's about 25 hectares. Uh, it's tree fields. And I'm going to show you how uh, you might improve the biodiversity quantity and the biodiversity quality on that farm, if it was a farm. So first of all, um, you, you, you have your hedgerows anyway. They're, they're there. And that's nearly half, half a hectare or, or uh, four and a half thousand square meters. Uh, then if you're scoring for quality, we, we look to have your hedgerows looking like that uh, in, in, in May. Uh, uncut, side trimmed, uh, drawing down as much carbon as possible with all the foliage that's there, having as much blossom as possible with all the blossom that's there for pollinators. And they'll, they're going to provide a winter food source for birds in the autumn and the winter. And as well as that, then you're enhancing the environment. You can imagine if there wasn't a hedge there uh, or, or if a lot of hedgerows were taken out, uh, it's going to change the landscape. So you're having a positive value on the, on the landscape as well. So that's, that's what we're looking for quality wise. This is not what we're looking for, where the hedge has been shown. Uh, it'll take at least with our quality score. I, I'm going to talk about the results-based payment scorecards later on. But if we were scoring that, uh, it's going to get a very poor score. And it won't get into a high score for at least two to three years until some of the blossom and the foliage start coming back. And for those who think that uh, hedgerows should be cut every three years, I disagree totally with that because you're going back down to just when a hedge is reaching its potential, you're cutting it back down to nothing again, and you're going to have nothing for two years, and you'll have a small bit for, for the third year. So then you can add a field margin. And again, this is we, we just pinch a small bit off, off of the farmers uh, trying to get a, 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 bit, a bit of biodiversity managed area. So we look for two meters around each of the, of the hedgerows. And... Um, it's, it's kind of painless extraction. When you look at the first, uh, farmers are, are a bit, uh, uh, they're not too enamored with it because there's, there's a big gap there, but, but after a while, uh, it, it fills up and it's uh, what you really want to, is looking like that. That's your two meter field margin. So that's obviously very good for pollinators. There's wildflowers there. There's rough grassland there for small mammals. Uh, there's insects, there's uh, nesting, uh, a, nest, a nesting area for, for ground nesters. Uh, and that's really uh, a perfect field margin. And this is what you don't want. Uh, we want to try and get away from, from using pesticides and habitats. Uh, and the reason for this is, uh, you know, farmers will say that they, they need to look after the, the electric fence. The problem is that the electric fence is, is on top of the hedge and you need to bring out the electric fence so that you won't have to spray it and flail that field margin every year so that you, you'll have a year free of uh, green material and you won't have to spray the electric fence. And it's all about just giving a small bit back to nature. You must remember that for years and years, uh, we've been taking bits away from nature and this is just giving a small bit back. Uh, so then down at the bottom of the screen here, we're gonna put in, uh, there was 50 uh, native oak trees put in um, uh, along with Aldor and that's, uh, that's a tree line. Uh, that's 415 square meters. And again, now you, you still have most of, uh, of your, your farming area as well, your production area. Uh, and this is what that could look like in 50 or 100 years time. We'll be gone from it. But the feel good factor when you go out looking at your spring or winter wheat or whatever it is there on a, on a sunny spring morning or summer morning, um, you, you have to put a value on that. And they're mature oak trees uh, that, that were left in, in the middle of the field. And that's just fantastic. Next thing over here on the left-hand side of the screen, uh, we can put in wild bird cover. Now, there's the, this is not for the faint heart, but this is the honors class because you're actually taking out uh, about an acre. There's about an acre and a half gone here. So if you have 300 cows and you're stocked at a cow to the acre, you're down to 299 and you're giving an acre back to, to biodiversity. Uh, so, so that's uh, one way to look at it, I suppose. Uh, so uh, what there's uh, nearly a half a hectare and this is what it looks like in the summertime, uh, which is fantastic for pollinators uh, and small mammals again. Uh, and in uh, the wintertime, that, uh, that becomes data as it were, but all the seeds are available 
right up until uh, Christmas and afterwards for, for small birds and, um, and, and everything that depends on them. So that, that's a fantastic measure. And it, it doesn't need to be huge. You know, this is, um, you, it'll also save you the bother up with no peanuts because you're, you're, uh, you should be providing a, a food source for, for the small birds in your farm so that there will be a small saving that way. Uh, okay, if that was, if the last thing was for the honors class, this is for the employee class. So this, this is a Skylark plot and you are, uh, you're not taking it out of production completely, but this, this is where most of, of our problem is, is um, the, the, the species, the bird species that, that nest in the ground. And um, uh, for a Skylark especially, it, they need a special structure. So you can't just leave your animals in uh, willy-nilly, if you're going to have, uh, you know, 100 or 200 hooves inside there, you're going to have no chance for any species. And that's part of the problem. We need to leave little spaces like this for the, the species that are in trouble. Uh, but again, you, you will need to graze it. And that's important to remember that if you don't graze it, if you don't manage it, it goes into scrub. And that might not necessarily be um, the best for biodiversity. Scrub is good. Uh, but in this case, uh, this kind of a... Uh, ecologically high quality grassland is, is much better. So there's a hectare gone out of there, but you will be able to graze it. And this is the bird that we're trying to look after. Uh, it's one of the birds that are in trouble. Any of the ground nesters are in trouble because they're competing with this and they're competing with this. And no matter what you do, uh, when you've that amount of cows or that amount of machinery uh, going in in the breeding season, you, you're going to have uh, huge declines. They just can't compete. Um, and Skylarks were always able to compete with low numbers. That, that's, that's part of their evolution. Um, and they, they need actually the dung and, and uh, the soil for invertebrates and, and insects and so on. Uh, but, but it's just that uh, for, for that habitat, it, it needs to be managed less extensively, less uh, intensively. So then there was a wet area here. Uh, there was a hollow, so the farmer dug, dug that out. And there was a wet area down here. So there's two ponds gone in, and they're, they're only 10 metres by 10 metres, but hugely important for biodiversity. And this is what you can get uh, with that. Uh, then rough grassland, there was a line of trees that was left over here. So he fenced it off, uh, and it's 1,000 square metres, but um, it wasn't very productive anyway because the, the, there was trees in and out of it. But that's hugely important for small mammals. And these are the species that are dependent on rough grassland. Barnolds, kestrels, and hen harriers, three of the most endangered raptors that we have. Uh, hen harrier, um, very low numbers. Uh, kestrel declining, and we saw that last week in the report that came out, and barnolds also uh, having low numbers. Uh, so you're catering for, for those three species when you, have, um, when you have rough grassland. Down in the left corner, there was a rough area. So there was uh, 320 meters. It, it was kind of rough, uh, rough hollow in the field. So there, there was um, 200 oak trees gone in there. So now you have a mini wood. And as, at this stage now, you have, uh, and that's what that's going to look like in years to come. And that's the whole thing with biodiversity. You just need to wait before you can really enjoy it. And down in, in the, the right-hand corner, there was a wet area. There was a pond gone in there already, but he's fenced it off and he's managing it now as a wet grassland. And uh, that's over, over a hectare, but, uh, or it's a half a hectare. But the, the wet grassland is what uh, curlews depend on, uh, lapwing and snipe, and they're also in serious decline. So uh, from a standing start, this farmer now has uh, 2.94 hectares uh, gone over to biodiversity, and it gets them over the, the 10%. And um, yes, some of it is not as productive as, as what it would be. Uh, but nevertheless, there's a lot done for biodiversity. If you want to improve the quality, you put in some bee scrapes here. You can see these little bees. And the, the, what we do is we put them in the, the southern, uh, the south-facing uh, earth banks of the hedgerow. Uh, and you, you add to the quality because now you're prov providing a, a habitat for bees. Uh, and these are, this is what they look like. It's just simple scrape on the side of a hedge. Uh, and you can see the the solitary bee uh, burrowing into the soil. Uh, you can also put in two nettle patches. Uh, again, now this is really for only top class farmers who would go with this measure. Uh, so you, you have uh, a nettle patch at about a meter square uh, in the middle of a field out from the, from the hedge. And that is uh, the food plant for five different species of butterfly. And you don't have nettles, you won't have those butterflies. 
Uh, and these are the, the caterpillars of the peacock butterfly. Uh, then you can also put in a pollinator plot into your field margin if you want to just put in wildflowers, um, a difficult measure. Uh, and sometimes you might be better off just bringing out the wire uh, or bringing out the, the cultivator and, and leaving that, that margin and see what comes back. Um, because uh, wildflowers are de deceptively difficult. But all in all, there, you know, there's, there's a huge improvement after being made. Uh, with very, you know, very little effort. And Donald, uh, and based your, on the, the measures that farmer has implemented already, has he noticed any impact on his his uh, his income? Uh, the, the only, well, I suppose he hasn't because we'd be we'd be compensating for where he would uh, lose the income. Um, you, you could say, I suppose, that the Skylark plot, uh, you can't you can't have cows going into it every three weeks as you would a normal rotation. Hmm. Uh, so so they're going to have to be you you linked in the rotation to to create the right structure for whatever birds you're trying to conserve. Mm. Uh, so it, it, they might be going in only every 35 days or even in the breeding season, it might be extended to once every two months, but it does need to be managed. So other than that, um, we, we pay for the, um, uh, our part pay, now it should be mentioned that we, we part pay, the farmer goes a long ways to paying for it as well. Uh, we part pay for, for the, the wild bird cover and, and some of the other measures. Uh, so multi-species grassland has been spoken about in this program many times, and uh, if, if you want to um, reduce your nitrogen usage, putting in multi-species with, with, with uh, clover content and, and other legumes uh, will, will improve the soil and will reduce your, your nitrogen use. So you're really going towards a very sustainable farming system. Uh, and this is your, your multi-species plot with your... Uh, you know, you've, you've plantain and chicory and uh, several different species of grass, red and white clover, et cetera. Uh, and not forgetting our tillage farmers, they can do all of the above as well. But on top of that, uh, what's hugely important is um, not to spray your winter stubble. So if you look at the, the photograph with the sprayed stubble field, um, we have, uh, you, you have no cover uh, whatsoever. So you've no cover for birds uh, and, and small birds, finches, skylarks, yellowhammers, the, the species that are in trouble again, depend on this habitat and have been doing for hundreds of years for scraps during the winter, whether it's volunteer cereals, whether it's um, uh, spilt grain or, or just weeds that, that are coming back, uh, a, a hugely important uh, biodiversity area. Uh, and, and probably something that's that's overlooked by, by a lot of people. But we it's, it's one of our measures where we ask our farmers to um, not to spray four hectares. And this is what you have it looking like in the, the slide and the, 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 the photograph in the bottom. You have loads of green cover that's drawing down carbon for, for six months of the year when the, the slide on top is not. Uh, you've no green cover there to draw down carbon. Uh, you're providing wild, uh, wild bird cover for, for birds and wild bird food. And uh, you're also uh, draining out any leftover nutrients um, from the soil that so it's not leached during the winter. So, so this 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 habitat is is hugely important for a lot of different um, a lot of different criteria. So th this is our our scorecard. So if if we're scoring a hedgerow, uh, if it's topped uh, less than a year, uh, you get ten marks. If it's topped one to four years, and it's very easy to look to you know the lads going out can see this straight away. Or if it's if it's mature or five years topped or over, you, you get your sixty percent of the payment. If there's gaps, we we don't kind of uh, when we were designing these, they were very complicated initially, and we had to simplify them because it was taking too long. So we allow for some gaps because usually once a hedge is secure and once it's free from disturbance, you're, you're going to get some value out of it. Um, so once there's not too many gaps, you're okay. And free from disturbance, go down to the bottom. If there's pesticide application, it's an autofail. If there's dumping or spoil, it's an autofail. And if the cattle have access to it, if it's not protected, it's an autofail. And some people might say that that's severe, but this is the way we want to go on. We want to protect our habitats and we send the signal out to the farmer um, to, to the payment will be for uh, better quality habitats. So if there's a riparian buffer strip, once there's 90% uh, greater than three meters, you, you really have most of your payments. Again, uh, free from disturbance, you get 20 marks. So you can look at all the auto fails there. And again, if people are saying, you know, that that's, that's severe, it's not really, uh, you know, the Bride River and a lot of rivers are used for uh, human consumption. And, you know, we need to, to realize that you know, livestock access, farmyard runoff, pesticides, et cetera, uh, it's just not acceptable. 
and uh, we all need to make improvements uh, that way. And it's going to take time, but um, this is the road that we're on. Uh, so this is the, um, we're nearly there on our map. So th this is your scorecard and your, score, your, your payment sheet, actually. And if you look on the left-hand side of the screen, that's, this is the Farmland Biodiversity Index that, that has been created now. So we pay on the, the quantity of BMA you have. So once you're over that 10%, we try to get everyone up to 10%. So this farmer started off at 3.82%. And he, uh, he had the hedgerow and, and the wet grassland. Then um, he added what we saw. That came to 7.95%. So now he's up at 11.7%. And that's 2.94, uh, two hectares of his farm or her farm. And... Uh, at a rate of 500 euros a hectare. And that's that figure you could say now is what we're paying for uh, ecosystem services. So all of the services that those habitats are uh, are, are working for as it were, uh, that's what 500 euros a hectare is doing, which is, uh, I suppose, budgetary restrictions. We had to leave it at that, but I think uh, it, it's probably worth more than that, but I would say that when I'm a farmer, I suppose. Uh, so that that the quantity comes to 1471 so then we go out and we score each of those habitats uh, and they get a score of a b or c and we add up the the, the scores it's very simple and th this family had a score of b so his family and biodiversity index is 12b and based on that the quality payments comes to 2300 euros so each habitat has uh, a quality rating and has uh, an equivalent uh, payment, and, and it, it comes to 2,300. So also we have a top up for a target species. So we have a list of target species. These are the species that are in trouble. They could be birds mostly, uh, but also some amphibians and uh, butterflies. And this, this farmer had two species, Skylark, and he had a uh, barn owl. So he gets 200 euros as a top up. And in my opinion, if you have curlew or lapwing, because they're really, really scarce, it should be more than that, but that's what our budget uh, pays. If you have a target habitat, which is uh, uh, wet grassland or uh, woodland, mature woodland, or uh, species-rich grassland, you get another payment. So we have a list of target habitats. And if you have, once you go over eight habitats, you get a, a top up of 100 euros. So it's all incentive-based. So this farmer has a farmland biodiversity index of 12B, and he gets a payment, or she gets a payment of 4,171 euros. And just finishing up, this is a biodiversity desert, and this is where we are, and this is where I am myself. Um, this, this, is the, this is a monoculture uh, grassland, and really, the, 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 we, you know, whether you have grass-fed or whatever, this is, you know, biodiversity poor. Uh, the, the, the next part of that, uh, it's, it's up to the top of the picture there, and you have that's where the biodiversity starts in the hedgerow. Uh, so that's why uh, there isn't a whole lot in, in, a, in, a, in a monocultural grass field. And this is a biodiversity oasis. And we need to go somewhere between the two. Uh, you won't get huge production from this, you get some production. Uh, you won't get uh, very little biodiversity in the other. Uh, there needs to be a balance. And that's where we are aiming to go to. So to summarize the changes that need to happen, we, we need advice as farmers on ecology and sustainability as well as agronomy, because they, 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 they can be, um, uh, they can, can disrupt one another. Uh, we, we need to make environmental discussion positive because it affects everybody. Uh, farmers are at the heart of it because they're managing the land, but it affects the wider community. And I view it as an opportunity. It, it's definitely not an obstacle. We need to see it as an opportunity. There's, there is uh, money to be made from it. And I don't want to kind of uh, be seen to be uh, creating nature with, with a financial payment, but that is where we're at, unfortunately. Uh, there, there needs to be a focus on de delivering a higher environmental standard of food production with a view to getting a premium. And that, that doesn't mean uh, the same old, same old, you know, the, the, get a, the, it, it needs to be channeled back to the farmer from the consumer. That isn't there at the moment. We are paid as farmers to produce as much as we can. There is no signal coming from the consumer to say, uh, yes, Donald, thank you very much. Uh, we, we like the way you're farming. Uh, that premium needs to come back. And that, that will change radically uh, if we got that premium. And I'm not uh, going out to cap my hand now, but it, it, it sends a signal to the farmer that it's important to look after the environment. Uh, and as I said, it, they should be paid for delivering the environmental benefits, which the, the bride are, I suppose, that's what you could say. Uh, so we need the specialist advisors um, leading the way and making changes. When, when you can talk about um, 
you know, uh, Hegberg farming number and EBI and, and uh, growth per hectare or whatever. Uh, we need to be talking about butterflies and birds in the same in the same sentence. That's where we need to get to. It's not there at the moment. Uh, we shouldn't forget that the consumer is king. It doesn't matter what policy dictates. A market demands ecosystem services, but as a lot of farmers would say, you have to be black to go green as well. Uh, and I, I do feel that going back to advising one on one, as well as the discussion group model would, would be beneficial because um, uh, when an advisor goes out one on one on a farm, uh, there's a lot of things talked about that aren't talked about uh, at discussion group level. And I think that would be beneficial. And the, the process is out there, you know, we need to finish on the greenwashing because it, it does uh, damage farmers' reputation. You know, we, we need to uh, acknowledge that there are problems out there, but when we'll be able to, when we'll reach uh, where we have biodiversity back in our soils and back in our land, uh, uh, then we'll be able to, we'll be able to show that, yes, it, it has come back. So thanks very much, Mark. Uh, and sorry again for the, the glitch. No, you're fine, Donald. Thank you for that. Really enjoy that presentation and uh, you give a very good you know, uh, pictorial view of, of how it should be done. I'm interested in the um, the non-financial support that the project provided to those farmers, because we know that, you know, there's a lot, there's a learning process here and uh, around, you know, growing uh, mm. biodiversity. Often remember a farmer we had presenting at the Agri-Environment Conference a number of years ago, and uh, he showed a slide of uh, a very intensively managed crop of barley on one side of the fence and then a a field of uh, heather on the other side of the fence and he said if you pay me to grow uh, barley I'll grow barley and if you pay me to grow yeah. heather I'll grow heather and it was I think it just boiled it down to a very simple uh, case that we we have to put a value on the nature um, and it has to be a financial value as well as uh, a, a, um, a societal value but uh, just going back to that that point around the the non-financial support that you provided to those mm -hmm. farmers and maybe you could talk just about the process there of how yeah. you brought so, that farmer the journey that that farmer yeah. uh, went on so we went out and surveyed every farm uh, and we there's no point in telling a tillage farmer that you know you, you need to put in a tree line and a hedgerow right down the middle of a grain field because it doesn't suit them they're big machinery so it's all about tailoring the plan to suit the farmer and to suit the enterprise. And also we're looking at what's on the farm. You can't put in a pond if, it's, if, it's, if there isn't a wet, a wet area there, you know, it, you need water and some farms just don't suit having a pond in them. So uh, we bring in the farmer uh, and, and we go over the, the plan and the farmer, uh, you know, is, is fully aware of, of what they're doing and, um, they 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 go with it or they don't and, and generally they, they all did did go with it and, and the most interesting thing was we had entry criteria for farmers to, to get in and one of the criteria was uh, you you pick out uh, not to four habitats you get 10 points um, four to eight habitats you get 20 points and it, it was a scoring system of getting 100 points and the highest number of points got in and and eight plus habitats got you 30 points and over every single one of them took uh, in, in, in creating nine habitats. Um, and, and even um, when we, we had a budget for 30 farmers and we had 42 in, and we said it to them at the meeting, uh, we said it to the 42 farmers that um, we're, we're not going to be able to pay as much as what we thought we had. If we have the 42 in, we're going to have to whittle it down to 30. And there was a unanimous decision taken that no one should be asked to leave if they didn't want to leave. So these farmers were really uh, keen on, on making the improvements. And I wouldn't like it to be said either now that, uh, you know, money wasn't, uh, they didn't say money wasn't an issue because that, that would be taken for granted. But first and foremost, they wanted to make the improvements. They were, they were keen to make the improvements and they were keen to learn. Well, I suppose it does look, money has to come into it, doesn't it? I mean, where you see the top performing dairy herds are making a thousand euros per hectare. Um, you know, that has to that has to be brought into the equation. It's a very it difficult choice. And, and, and if you're on a thousand euros per hectare and, and you're asking a farmer uh, to take out a hectare for woodland or for, uh, you know, field margins or whatever, uh, that farmer is going to say, well, you know, I'm making a thousand euros per hectare already and, and the, 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 you, you have to equate the payment. Uh, it's as simple as that. That's that's the way it is. Uh, we have a lot, a lot of questions coming through. So before we just go to the questions, I'm just going to ask our audience permission uh, because just of the, the the time delay at the start, 
Um, I think uh, we will keep the session going for a little bit longer this morning just because of the, the sheer volume of questions. If you're happy enough with that, Donald. So, yeah. Pat, I'm going to hand over to you and uh, you kick off some of the questions for us. Yeah, there's, there's some quick ones and, and some that might take a little bit longer. Um, just in relation to field margins, do they remain eligible for BPS as, as it stands at the moment? Uh, you'd have to talk to the department about that, Pat. Uh, we, we, our, our cows uh, in the bride area, they have long necks and they're able to graze it. So <laughs> you can leave them in. We, we have a handle at the end of each field margin. We leave the cows in there so they, they can graze it. Okay. That, that, um, that just needs to be, that needs, that, that is a huge problem. I'll put it to you that way. Every, every farmer asks and it's a problem. And I think to be fair, the department are aware of it because uh, okay. it's, 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 you know, there's a lot of media talk about it. And I, I'm sure it'll be, um, it, it, it'll be sorted. But the, the, our, our payment system pays for everything, including scrub, because scrub has a value as well. Uh, so, yeah. A question there in relation to the field margins, are they just left? to regenerate or is there any seed added to... Yeah, so in one of the slides we, sh we showed putting in a pollinator plot where you can improve the quality of the field margin. But to be honest about it, um, it's, it's, some of them have taken up, they're difficult, wildflowers are difficult uh, to manage and especially inside the field margin, they're competing against the hedge coming out on top of them. They're competing against brambles. And very often you, you might be better off um, to, to just bring out the wire and see what comes back. If you turn over the side, and even if, if you don't turn over the side, once you once you stop the disturbance, you're going to get rough grassland. And after that, you'll get you'll get um, uh, field voles and, and or uh, bank voles and, and shrews and, and field mice, etc. So once once there's no disturbance, you're, you're improving biodiversity straight away. You get insects, etc. But I suppose to improve the quality of it, yeah, putting in wildflowers would improve, I suppose, the pollinator quality of it at least. There's a number of questions about the, the, the management then of the, the, the uh, margins, the best, the best width to leave to be allowed or to be able to flail it with yeah. the, uh, most ease. What's your, uh, I suppose, what's your, your, your uh, formula yeah. for that? So I suppose really the, the field margin, really what we are doing with the field margin is just trying to replicate what, what was out in the field 50 years ago. And it's, it's not, it's a kind of a suboptimal habitat it's not the most suitable habitat for wildflowers to compete because the hedge is coming out uh, on top of them, as I said, brambles are coming out. So you need to flail it every, every year, really, because you're also trying to prevent pesticide the following year uh, on top of your wire. So flailing it every year will, will keep it free and it'll give wildflowers a chance to, to come back. Um, so th that's probably the, the, the best management. If, if you don't, you lose the field margin and our Field margin score, uh, if, if it does encroachment by the hedge, you're losing the habitat, and then you've only one habitat. So you, you need to keep it flailed. That's the way our, our scorecard works. Okay, a couple of questions in relation to ponds and, and, and wetlands. Do you, uh, Are the, the ponds lined, or are they just naturally... No, we, 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 don't, we, don't, uh, we don't actually look for them to be lined because, uh, well, they're, they're expensive, I suppose. And uh, generally speaking, when you dig out a pond, just track it in uh, and, and, and leave it because you have an extra dimension when you have, um, once you have soil in the bottom of the pond, you'll have plants growing in it, you'll have, uh, you know, you'll have various invertebrates and you'll have pond creatures, etc. Uh, and it's, uh, I mean, a, a pond with a liner uh, isn't bad, but it's a lot better if, if, if you can do without it. But in some instances, um, you know, if you've only water off the shade or whatever, uh, a pond is, is very nice, even aesthetically on, on, on any farm yard. Uh, now, a tougher question. Uh, there was just a, a question there in relation to achieving the, the say, the 10%. Uh, how much does that reduce the, 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 I mean, some of it stays as pr productive area yeah. or semi-productive area. So if you're to get that 10%, how much the, do you think that generally leads to a loss of, a potential loss of production? Well, I suppose, Pat, if you take if you take any intensive farmland, whether it's the cereals or whether it is uh, daring or, or beef or whatever, if you take daring, for instance, and, and you, you're stocked at a cow to the acre, and you know some farms are really intensively stocked, that's that's an acre gone, and that's the way I look at it. You, you know, if you have wet grassland or if you have, um, we said a skylark plot that we we're talking about, you, you get some of it back that way. 
but we just have to appreciate that if, if you don't uh, if you don't have the habitats, you won't have the species. And we do need to appreciate as well that we, we do need to, in my opinion, there's too much land has gone for food production. We're gone too far and we can't deliver on the ecosystem services that the public and that the world are looking for us to deliver on. And there just has to be a bit of rebalancing. And I know people will say that there's people starving and we have to make an income, but that, that aside, that, that, that is, we're cutting off our nose to spite our face, I suppose. There's a question in there about the recruitment of farmers and, and the proportion of farmers who, who are willing to go this, this route. Uh, from your experience, uh, was it difficult to persuade farmers to, to make the move? And what proportion of the farmers, say, in your area, I suppose at an initial stage, were willing to go along? And do you get a sense that having seen what you have done, that there are now more who might be willing to go that, that path? Or there's definitely more. We get so many phone calls now about not people necessarily wanting to join, but just what they can do themselves. Uh, and when we started out in 2018, um, yeah, I'd, I'd say some some farmers saw it as, as uh, I remember one day I was going to the, the, the local creamery and uh, someone started uh, kind of smirking and asking me how are the birds and the bees. Uh, but but I think that that has changed now. You know they see it now as being as being more important than, than what it was. And on our launch night, we had forty seats uh, at the Corn Event Centre from Oymart, and uh, there was one hundred and twenty turned up. A lot of them were, were community, but most of them were farmers. And when we opened the the process of of recruiting farmers, uh, we we had sixty five in two weeks, and we had to close it down because we were only looking for thirty. So, and, and since, um, I mean, the, the bar has gone a lot higher. I mean, we, we would have, uh, I'd say we would have uh, increased the challenge uh, for our farmers, I'd say from, from initially in 2018, uh, by the time we had scorecards and things done uh, only in the last 12 months, um, I'd say the bar has got a bit higher, all right, yeah. I think, Donald, there has been, there's no doubt about it, there's a huge appetite there amongst farmers uh, to, to do this. It's the, it's the support and the enabling environment, I think, that's, that's, that's needed. Just a question around uh, farmers who rent land and yeah. can they create BMA that might be then wiped out uh, if someone else takes on the land? And I mm. suppose that, that, for me, raises the bigger question about the, the length of these schemes, because mm. we know that, uh, I know from my my former days as a, a reps planner, you know, you, you do a five-year plan, but uh, there's no guarantee that mm. uh, that land or that, that the following scheme might be attractive enough for the farmer yeah. to, to remain in it. What's, yeah. what's your view on that? It's a huge problem. Um, we, we allow uh, rented land, providing that they're in uh, for, for the duration of the project, which is until 2023. But inevitably, there's, you know... Um, milk price and, and, and grain price, they're static. So wh when this is finished, and if there's no bride too, or if there's no, uh, if there isn't another glass, farmers can, you know, plow up these and put them back into, into, into farm production. And, and that, that's a, a huge problem. I think where that problem would be solved is if, if there was, as I said, if, if there's an increment coming back from the consumer continuously, even though it might be small, it sends out a signal that that uh, you you need to hold on to this. It, you, we can't really it's 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 we can't take out any more habitats because we're going to be we're going to have to put them back after, um, and we need to we do need to start putting putting back some of the habitats and having some sort of consistency where farmers can be guaranteed that uh, that the value will remain on those habitats that it's not just here today and gone tomorrow because we a lot of our farmers have put in uh, woodlands consisting of one hundred and fifty. Um, native trees and th that 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 land is gone then that's that's gone out of farm production that that's that's you know a quarter of an acre or half an acre gone for from spring barley or winter wheat and it's it's you know three or four cows gone or whatever so you know and all our farmers are doing it um and uh, with a view that it won't be coming back so there does need to be some kind of consistency with with um the environment one of the points, Donald, that was made during this uh, national dialogue the other day was that that farmers can't be expected to to make this change on their own. Um, and as I was mentioning earlier on, it's it's more than just financial support that's needed. Yeah. What, what's your view in terms of the the support or the uh, the uh, enablers that could be put in place by by government or indeed industry as well? 
Well, I, I think um, awareness, awareness, awareness. It, it's the biggest problem. When, when farmers are aware that this is right and this is wrong, uh, they, they'll automatically, um, uh, you know, cha- change over. And, and, you know, there's a great thing from, from um, the Base Ireland Group, uh, you know, farmers educating farmers. We put an awful lot of value on getting farmers out on farm walks and seeing what can be done and saying, look, lads, you know, the wheels haven't fallen off. But there does need to be huge support from, from the industry. The, the, the industry, um, I, I think it's just a lack of knowledge on their part as well, you know. It, it came so fast, all of this environment and biodiversity, it, it caught a lot of people uh, unawares and they're, they're finding it hard to deal with. Mm-hmm. But um, the greenwashing doesn't help. I, I, it annoys me when we say that, you know, we're this and we're that because when it's proven after that, no, we're not. It, it just, you know, the slogans that our food products have, uh, it, it, it makes it harder then for the consumer to trust us mm. and, and that, that's a huge problem and farmers and processors and, and, and retailers um, all the way back to the consumer there needs to be collaboration there where um, the, produ- the consumer needs to know what they're getting and it needs to be exactly what it says on the tin. Huge amount of positive comments coming through here, Donal, about the, the project and the work you're doing. Uh, inspirational is a word that seems to be uh, popping up here quite often. Uh, oh, Mr. President has cropped cop- up as well. I'm sorry? Donal, do you do open days uh, or, you know, how, how can people get some um, access to, to kind of see what's happening within the project? Yeah, we, we, we have open days. We have, you know, demonstration farms um, and that's thanks to our, to our farmers. But I, I suppose, you know, COVID put pay to it. We got in, we got in two last year. We, we split the group into, you know, 25 and 25 or 20 and 20. But um, we, we would have liked to have it open to the public, but because of n- numbers, we just couldn't. Um, but we do always, uh, we, we were hoping to, to have open days, but I suppose the best thing I could say is that we, we have a Habitat Management Guidelines book available from our website. Uh, it is free to download for anyone. Now we have hard copies here in the office if, if anyone wants it. And it will just give them an idea of how, you know, best to manage their habitats for, for biodiversity. Donald, there's, a, I suppose, a, a couple of questions uh, relating to how this feeds into policy. And I suppose we, we may have some policymakers on the line who uh, particularly are looking at cap infrastructure and uh, needing to, to go to Europe with, with a, a design for the future uh, of our, our cap uh, environmental uh, uh, initiatives. What, uh, from uh, your project, would you see as being appropriate to mainstream, or is it just the entire? Show? I I I think I, I think that the cap should be paying for 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 the BMA. Uh, I think uh, you know part of a, a, a lot of the cap has is an income supplement, and you know make no mistake about that. F- farmers uh, cannot uh, make ends meet in, in some enterprises, and that that. That payment, I don't want any to see any farmers' payment reduced, but there should be some of it go towards looking after the environment, retaining the BMA, paying for the BMA with, with a results-based scheme, paying for the for the quality, similar to what we are doing. I, I think that that should be included in any cap. And I think um, you know, Ireland are in a, a hugely uh, positive position because despite a lot of habitats being taken out there's still a lot of it left. And, and nature will, will restore uh, habitats very quickly, but you just need it to give it a chance to breed. And, and from my experience, since we started in the Bride Project, farmers are hugely positive and they're very engaging. Um, there were several people rang me with the, the recent EIP funding project um, application uh, that, that came out. Um, there was a lot of farmers interested in setting up a kind of a mini Bride Project in their own area. Um, so, so this is waiting to happen. The funding is all that's needed uh, in whatever shape or form it will take. But I think farmers are willing to do it. Um, there's no doubt about that. There's a good few questions in relation to co-benefits for water and whether you're taking on board some measures that would be fairly specifically uh, focused on uh, water, particularly given that you're based around the, the bride catchment. Yeah, yeah. Well, w- w- some of our measures will improve, uh, you know, water quality in the Broad River. But, you know, we, we have three-metre buffer strips, but 
we, we, you need to realize that the, buff, the buffer strip really is only, it's a kind of, um, it's a buffer to stop, you know, fertilizers and, and runoff going into the river. But you, you have to go further back than that. You, you have to, it's prevention is, is the issue. Uh, the buffer is more a biodiversity measure than a, than, than a nutrient management issue. Um, we, we all need to look at what fertilizers we're putting out. And you shouldn't need any buffer if we had the right amount of fertilizers. You know, if the fertilizer was put out to suit the growth and the, the plant that was there on the take-up, uh, you shouldn't need a buffer strip. Um, so we, we, we autofill for, uh, you know, fertilizers and buffer strips, a slurry and buffer strips. Um, but we can't and we don't want to go down the road of inspecting farmers for what nitrogen they're using. You know, that's, that's not where we're at. But, but um, as I said, the, the Denu project uh, are dealing with lowering their, the, the nutrients that farmers are using and getting away from chemicals and trying to improve the soil so that plants, uh, crops and grass are, are stronger and, and more resilient. So uh, side by side with the Bright project, um, you know, hopefully in years to come, we, we'll have a, a much better farming system. There's an interesting social question here. Uh, does the scheme help bring farming and non-farming rural dwellers closer together? I think it does. I mean, there was about 50 people from, from outside of the farming area at our, at our launch night. But I think the local community, that's why the bride was, um, why so many farmers got involved in it, because it's biodiversity regeneration in a daring environment. But the bride is the bride river, and it connects all the communities from Glenville down to Rakarmuk, down to Castlines, Kana, Tallow. Um, you, you know, that, that's the, the common denominator between all those communities. And we all have a, we, we share it as a common resource because we're, we're using it for, for drinking water. And the way farmers manage their land uh, has a huge impact on that drinking water quality, as well as, you know, householders and non-farmers because of, you know, septic tank issues and local authorities, it's important to say that. But it's, it's, it's a common trade that we all share. And, and I think there is great support from, from the community because they see it as enhancing their, their, their areas as well when you're planting trees and planting hedgerows, et cetera. Pask, um, just while we're talking about checklists and so on, um, and I know you, you haven't prepared you for this question, but I know that you are working on a, a, a checklist approach or a, a scoring system that related to the signpost farm program. Would you care to sh just uh, share, share some, what, what thinking is, is going on there in that? I suppose uh, uh, there's been a good bit of talk over the last while about uh, developing a sustainability, a broad sustainability plan across farms where they look at, I suppose, the entirety of, of the objectives that we're trying to, to work towards, be it uh, greenhouse gas mitigation, uh, identifying risks that are there to water quality and, and trying to reduce them and enhancing biodiversity and bringing it all into, I suppose, a single planning process where you're engaging with the farmer to improve the outcomes across all of those. And with the biodiversity, as, as Donald points out, it's, it's very much about creating space uh, and, and re reducing impact. Uh, I think in the water quality uh, aspect, it's more about looking at the risks associated with uh, a particular farm to the water quality in its environment. And it, it can vary greatly depending on the, the type of landscape and particularly the type of soil that you have. So taking that on board and trying to, to target issues that are very specific to, to the area. And it, I suppose in relation to greenhouse gases, it's, it's, it's a very general practice thing to, to uh, and common practice across all farms to, to look at uh, the implementation of technologies that can reduce our, our impact. And I suppose what we're trying to do is rather than have a whole pile of individual messages uh, coming at farms from a whole pile from a whole load of different sources to give the farmer an opportunity to have one single plan in place uh, to address all of those issues in a coherent way and in a way that that meets his or her uh, uh, capacity to implement things on, a, on an ongoing basis. So I think one of the one of the the, the parts that are, are we're trying to build into it is a, um, I suppose, a, a, a continuation process that you put in place a number of things this year, you follow it on with a number of things next year that you're in, in a, I suppose, a, a mode of, of continual improvement uh, and, and then trying to align that with, with, 
with schemes. So I think that's the, the type of, of approach that we're trying to, to bring. It's an approach of, of a broad uh, environmental improvement on a continual basis. So, um, so it's, it's, it's good to see that some of the, the, the messages from the, the, the Bride project are, are being broadened out there. Uh, I suppose, Donald, from, you know, the, I, I asked you earlier on about the, the non-financial supports that are given to the farmers who are participants of this, of this program. Um, how, how often would they receive a visit or uh, some, some uh, guidance or is there, you know, a telephone line that they can call for support? Because I, I'm conscious that, you know, previous schemes, uh, farmers would re maybe receive a plan, yeah. uh, they'd receive some training perhaps, uh, but in terms of FaceTime with a, an expert or a, even other farmers uh, can, has been limited in the past. Yeah, well, at the, at the way the model is, is rolled out, we assess the habitats yearly. Now, we're trying to get that down to, uh, to the farmers themselves, uh, scoring the, the, the habitats uh, and us spot checking them and making sure that they're, that they're right. So we, we, we score the habitats every year. So anytime that they put in um, a new habitat, if they're creating a woodland or a hedgerow, because of departmental regulations and, and uh, accountability, we have to go up and make sure that it's in and make sure that it's been done right. So, so any, it's, it's usually uh, probably at least twice a year that we, we go to every farm. And then we meet them all. We try to meet them twice a year uh, on a farm walk, but that hasn't been possible. Um, but we would, we would meet most of them twice a year. But um, my own phone, unfortunately, is available all the time. Uh, anytime they want to ring, and they do ring constantly. Um, and that's fine uh, with, 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 you know, where to put up bird boxes or how to get uh, pollinator plots or how to get wildflowers or whether it's time to put in their wild bird cover or whatever. So, yeah, we're, we're available all the time and Sinead is available all the time also. I suspect your phone is going to be ringing a little bit more often after today, uh, Donald. We have a lot of questions around people who wanted to join the project, but I, I, that, that's not really going to be possible. But maybe is there any advice you could offer people? who wanted to maybe look at establishing a group, be it under the, the, the EIPs, um, and, and maybe just what are the, the kind of the, the learnings that you've, you've found over that, uh, that uh, experience? Yeah, well, well uh, I think an awful lot of it really is, is just um, managing what you have and retaining what you have. Cut out the pesticides. We, we don't say anything about pesticides on, on the crop, but pesticides and habitats is just a no-no. And it's it's a it's it's a kind of a mindset that we have uh, that we have to you know you you see thistles or nettles or, or or any kind of weeds coming up when you get the budget or you get the sprayer and you're out. Um, I always say that uh, farmers don't need ecologists; they need psychologists. You know, just to change their mindset. And and uh, you know, I, I often joke with them that we we provide counselling below in the office to to try and get them to change their ways. But but very often, just leaving your hedgerows go extending the width of the field margin, putting in a pond if you have a wet area, um, you know, pl planting a line of trees along a passageway, keeping it out from the passageway that it doesn't get caught in machinery, etc. You're, you're, you know, you can put in a hundred trees in a, in, a, in a passageway that way. And it's not a natural habitat, but, you know, any tree is better than no tree. So there's an awful lot of small things they can do and, and they'll get a lot of that information on the, on the website. Brilliant. There's one other question. I, I'm not sure you want to give up to tell me if you want to, to go ahead, but there's a, a question uh, a, a around the, the idea of uh, landscape and uh, 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 I suppose landscape scale impact and trying to design landscape or to, to, to have uh, uh, corridors, etc. at landscape level rather yeah. than just an, uh, is, yeah. is there anything you can do or is there anything you're considering in that space? Yeah, well, again, I didn't mention it, but the entry criteria for, for to get into the Bride Project, there was higher points got if there was uh, two or more farmers coming together as opposed to an individual. And the whole concept of the Bride Project is, is the landscape scale. I mean, Pat, you'd know previously all the agri-environment schemes. I could have been in an agri-environment scheme, but the next farmer could be four or five miles away. So the two of us could be doing everything right and everyone in between is doing everything wrong. So the whole concept of any environmental scheme should be that uh, everyone is doing the basics right. Every single farmer is doing the basics right. Yeah, if you're, if you're a tillage farmer, you'll be doing things slightly different to a dairy farmer or a beef farmer or a grassland farmer. 
but but in general, um, everyone's singing off the same hymn sheet, and and groups of farmers getting together is is the way to go rather than individuals. An individual will never make any impact on the environment. Okay, Donal, uh, we're going to have to wrap it up there. Um, thank you so much for your presentation. Really enjoyed it and uh, the conversation afterwards as well. Um, if people want to find out more about the project, uh, I presume just Google Bride Project. They'll find Bride it. Project and social media. Yeah. Very good. Uh, uh, thanks for helping with the questions. And I just want to thank our production team, Yvonne Maher and Andy Boland. And uh, hope you enjoyed the weekend. Enjoy the good weather while we have it. And uh, hopefully we'll be able to get, get out and stretch the legs a little bit more over the next uh, few months. And uh, I think, Donald, you mentioned psychologists. I think we'll all, we're all going to need psychologists, I think, after all of these various lockdowns. Uh, but look, uh, just say thank you again. And uh, next week, we'll be joined by Jenny Deacon from the EPA, uh, who's going to be giving us an update on the, the catchment approach uh, to, to water quality management there. So with that... And, and Mark, just a final point. Don is yes. kind of modest in, in relation to the, the uh, some of the outputs they have, but the guidebook that they produced is an absolutely superb piece of work. And uh, if anybody is looking for a real detailed guide as to how to work with farmers, uh, I think they, they would do well to, to download it. I agree, I agree. Okay, great stuff. Thanks again. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks very much. You've been listening to the podcast version of the Chagask Signpost Series, the weekly webinar that promotes and examines sustainability in Irish farming. Don't forget to join us live every Friday morning for our latest webinar. For more, visit chagask.ie. And you can also rate, review and subscribe to the Signpost Series on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Mark Gibson, and thanks for listening.